Hey there, this is Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do, that we do. And this week we are continuing with our little music month. Indeed. And I will be introducing Scott to a film he has never seen before. I'm introducing him to My Girl, released in 1991. My girl, my girl, my girl. Yeah, this is a movie I grew up with as a, a youngin in the 90s. It's a, a coming of age film, chock full of uh, some pretty kick ass 60s and 70s music throughout. And uh, it's a tearjerker. Yes, it is. It definitely is. And what I loved about it is that Scott literally went in blind on this one, which made me very happy. Yeah, I try to, especially when you're introducing me to movies, I try to go in as blind as I can. Yeah, me as well. When you show me movies, just because I feel like, generally speaking, it's a better experience when you don't know what's coming. Um, but I was particularly glad you didn't know what was coming for this movie because for the people that know what this is, it, it's pretty well known for emotional damage. The movie throughout kind of deals a lot with death and, uh, you know, some pretty heavy stuff, especially for kids. But the whole movie revolves around this young girl who lives in a funeral home. <laughs> so, you know, it's understandable it's a little morbid at times wednesday adams right you know right yeah just a more realistic wednesday adams i would say it's known for one particular plot point that uh brings on the waterworks pretty heavily uh, i hadn't seen this movie in a long time but i i had seen it multiple times in the past in my childhood so i didn't really know how i was going to react as far as waterworks but like uh yeah they they came and they came hard and <laughs> they they did what they were supposed to do which was emotional damage scott cried too i was pleasantly surprised i was like oh he does have a heart yeah a little one yeah so it was directed by a mr howard zeef who also wrote the sequel to this movie and um there is a sequel oh scott gave a look yes there is a sequel we'll, we'll talk about it why i've never seen it but there it exists anyway <laughs> and it was written by Loris Elowaney who also again wrote the sequel and she also wrote the Brady Bunch movie so all within the same vein of like you know family yeah 70s 60s family pictures slice of life in the 70s indeed indeed since Scott is so interested <laughs> in hearing about the sequel I will tell you it was released in 1994 and it has a 27% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Does anybody come back? Uh, yes. Aykroyd comes back, Jamie Lee Curtis comes back, and the main actress comes back. Really? Who plays Veda, yes. They all come back. I've never, again, never seen the movie, so I can't personally say if it's good or not. But, uh, yeah, 27 critics, 46% audience score. So probably not looking too good. Because, I mean, this movie... This movie is still, like, middle of the road as far as Rotten Tomatoes. Like, it has a 50% critic score, which I think is insane. But the audience score is a little better, 77%. Okay. This is not a 50% movie, No, Scott. it's not a 50% movie. Okay. I will not argue that, but I can understand 
critically people being like, eh, wishy-washy on this movie because of... I strongly disagree. Well, no, again, I gave it a decent score, and I honestly could probably be talked up by you, but critics tend to be like, oh, we're just focusing on what's given to us, and they're not connecting with it in a way that, especially you, would connect with it with the little girl story and all these things that... Right, you know, right, right. Like, Roger Ebert probably wouldn't get the same thing out of this that you would get out of this, hypothetically. Right. But, like, see, this reminds me of the argument that kind of was surrounding Brie Larson when she was talking about when Captain Marvel came out, that she made a speech saying, like, I don't want to know what a 40-year-old white guy thinks of a wrinkle in time. You know, I don't care. I want to know what a young black girl thinks, which, like, is there's an argument to be made there, but also at the same time, like... Just because a 40-year-old white guy gives a movie like that a bad rating doesn't mean it's bad because he's a 40-year-old white guy. No. Like, I feel like even if you're not a a young girl, like, you know, Scott, last time I checked, you are not young or a girl. So you had to go with the young one first? So, well, at one time you were young, eons ago. But (laughs) we are now the same age, so that joke doesn't really work. But (laughs) it's fine. Um... But my point is, you are not a, a girl. You are not a little no. girl that grew up and had a coming-of-age story in that respect no. as a, a female. However, no. you connected with this movie to the point where you shed tears. I did. Real tears. Physical, wet moisture came from your eyes. No, yeah. I think Veda has a very compelling arc and story, and like, it's very sweet and... Everybody acts in it very well. There are a couple of weird things when you think about it, like the teacher bit is weird. Um, I think that was played well, though. It's still weird. It's weird on who's on on the teacher's part. Like he no. d- he did it wrong. Like he he handled the situation wrong. Or I, we're gonna get into this, but it's not that he handled it wrong. It's just it's a weird storyline. And you're you've never no no yourself no. or uh, like known another kid who's had a crush on a teacher oh, that's uh, an adult. A hundred percent. But it's just like obsession almost. I feel like yeah. We'll, we'll get into it when we get there. But um, despite the somewhat middle-of-the-road Rotten Tomatoes scores, funnily enough, you mentioned the Addams Family before when you compared Veda, who's the main character of this movie, to Wednesday Addams. This movie was nominated for a Kids' Choice Award for Best Movie, and it lost to the Addams Family, <laughs> which came out the same year, 1991. <laughs> so, do you have anything to say? Before we get into the nitty and the gritty. No, let's do this. Alrighty, sir. So, we open our movie by meeting our main character who, throughout the film, once in a while, she'll uh, pipe up in some voiceover narration. But the the movie overall just centers around her. This 11-year-old girl in Pennsylvania in the year 1972. And her name is Veda, played by Anna Chlumsky. This was her first big film role, I believe. Definitely her first like starring role. She won a Young Artist Award for Most Promising Newcomer. She was also nominated for an MTV Movie Award for Best Breakthrough Performance. But she lost to... Edward Furlong in T2. 
I don't, I don't think either of them really did anything after those. Well, it's funny because she's kind of had a comeback, actually. She was in the new miniseries Inventing Anna on Netflix, which I heard was really good. I never actually sat down and watched it, but I heard it was very good. And I watched a trailer for it because I heard she was in it. And I, I did see her. I was like, oh, that's definitely Veda. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so, yeah, this whole film takes place throughout the summer of 1972. She, like I said before, lives in a funeral home run by her dad, Harry, who is played by Dan Aykroyd. And this was the same year as uh, his film Nothing But Trouble. Have you ever heard of that movie? No. I've never seen it. I've only heard stories. <laughs> but uh, it, it's basically, you know how like in the past, like with movies like Ghostbusters and whatnot, yeah. D- Dan Aykroyd writes like a script or whatever. Yeah. And it's people, 10,000 pages long. Right. Yet. And people like John Landis have to cut it down yeah. and like shape it and mold it so normal people can comprehend it. Nothing But Trouble is a film that was all Dan Aykroyd without anybody saying no. <laughs> so you're saying it was nothing but, but trouble. But trouble. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> multiple other people were capped at one point or another for this particular role. We had Bill Murray, Steve Martin. They were both doing other movies at the time. Murray was doing What About Bob? And Martin was doing Father of the Bride, so they couldn't do it. And then Chevy Chase was also considered at one point. But then they decided against it because... He's Chevy Chase. Well, yeah, but also because Dan Aykroyd, I think at that time at least, had a more penchant for dramatic work. He had already been nominated for an Oscar by that point for driving Miss Daisy. Dan Aykroyd was nominated for an Oscar. (laughs) I did not know that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think he did great in this. The only problem is watching this as an adult, I realize that he's he's not a bad dad, right? He's a good guy who's just doing his damnedest. But, like, he clearly ignores very bright, big, flapping red flags about his daughter's behavior. Like, she's a hypochondriac, right? So she goes to the doctor all the time. And she just so happens when she goes to the doctor all the time complains of symptoms akin to the people that are coming into the funeral home. That's a pretty red fucking flag. And then at one point in the movie, she has kind of a bad reaction. We'll we'll get into it when we get there in the plot. But she has a bad reaction to going down in the basement, which is where all the dead bodies are, you know, in in the funeral home. And someone brings it to his attention. Like, I don't think Veda is as, like well-adjusted as you might think she's 11 years old and she's obsessed with death and she thinks she's dying all the time and he's like everything's fine but the monsters it's fine it's fine are you sure because she has zero adventurer training yeah 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 yeah. it's fine she'll be fine it's fine it's fine it's fine the other thing is well yes they explain dan Aykroyd and why he's this way but i feel like there could have been more at the end with him he didn't really, like, change. And I feel like a lot of the emotional stuff for Veda fell on Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, I get what you're saying. I think he explains it at the end, basically. That he was trying to, like, shield her from all the bad stuff. And he thought maybe if he didn't address certain things that she could just go on and live a normal life. But in actuality, she just ends up internalizing everything and at the end of the movie, 
he does have like a real deep chat with her about certain things and I get that it's not like an extensive conversation but at the same time it's like this has been his child for 11 years he he can't expect him to become the perfect Mr. Brady dad overnight no you can't but there is progress made Uh, anyway we meet some other characters in our beginning little sequence here we meet Thomas J, Veda's best friend, and he is allergic to everything. That is his like main character trait. Sweet boy who is allergic to everything. And he is played by, you guessed it, Macaulay Culkin. And this was released in between Home Alone 1 and 2. And it was originally going to be Elijah Wood. Ah, that's funny. But Culkin was seen as more bankable because, you know, Home, Home Alone. Alone. And that's just the way the cookie crumbles, I guess. But uh, we hadn't gotten a What's the Sun movie with both of them. Uh, ooh, fuck. What's, 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 what's the name of that movie? First Son, Best Son. I feel like First Son, maybe? Now it's going to drive me crazy. Hold on. Hold on, kids. Elijah Wood and Macaulay Culkin movie. Here's one movie with Elijah Wood and Macaulay Culkin. The Good Son. Damn it. We were close, kind of, maybe. Yeah, so I guess we hadn't gotten The Good Son yet, where they're together, and Culkin's actually, like, 30. Trying to kill each other? <laughs> well, no, Culkin's, like, I think 30 in the movie, supposedly. And, no, like, he's not. What are you talking wasn't about? Wasn't he, like, a, a... No, that's The Orphan, oh. <laughs> where it's a fucking grown adult pretending to be a child, and then she, like, goes on a killing spree or something. I don't know. Movies are weird. Anyway, <laughs> we also meet Grand Moo, who is... Veda's grandmother and actually it's crazy because my nostalgic glasses I guess just for whatever reason when I watched this movie I didn't remember the grandma character being a, as big of a role as she is I mean she she herself is suffering dementia the character so she kind of wanders around aimlessly and isn't all there anymore and it's it's really sad she herself doesn't have very much to do but she's more important as like just a symbol for how important she is to Veda because Veda's mother died when she was two days old she died due to childbirth and Grandma was very close with her and then Harry says at one point when Grandma started getting sick meaning like really suffering from her dementia then Veda he puts it as oh veda started going crazy but it's like hmm, you gotta wonder like i'm thinking some of the quote-unquote crazy was already there and kind of under the surface and maybe hidden more because you know grandma was always around maybe you were just not really acknowledging that you know your daughter is gravely affected by the traumatic things that have happened in her life well, yeah, well let's 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 look at it this way let's look at mother's dead She's around death all the time. Father right. has retreated inwards. Yeah. And grandmother is the last connection that, like, she really has a strong connection to. Loses her mind and is basically a walking shell. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of really sad slash sweet moments with her that I just didn't remember. Like, there's a moment where Veda takes a poetry class. We'll get there. And <laughs> at one point, one of the people in the poetry class leaves like a meditation thing. And, uh, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you can connect to the person's soul, blah, 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 blah. And she goes home that night and her grandmother is sleeping in her bed and she goes in there and holds her hands like trying to read her soul. And it's like a sweet, like, oh, like sad 
moment. And there's also another moment with Harry where he goes into her room and starts playing the tuba for her, which made me think of like that uh, idea that like music a lot of times will help people with uh, dementia kind of remember yeah. things and come out of it for a minute. You know what I mean? It's just little cute little moments throughout that kind of make your heart all mushy gushy. And then last but not least, we have Shelly. Shelly DeVoto. And she's played by Jamie Lee Curtis. And uh, she she walks up to the funeral home looking like a backup dancer and <laughs> in, like some go-go outfit. And she's like, hi, I'm a makeup artist. I'm here for the job. And Harry's like, you, you know this is a funeral home, right? You're going to be making up dead people. And she's like, well, that wasn't specified in the ad, but hey, I'll take it. Sure, whatever. She's a great fucking actress. Yeah, well, this she's is... She's really fantastic. This was between A Fish Called Wanda and True Lies. Yeah, she's, at this point in her career, is officially, like, distancing herself as much as she can from the horror genre she, like, started in. Oh, yeah, this is, like, ten years after Halloween, too, so... You know... She is moved on i think from that it's well it's funny because she did that she did prom night she did all these different horror movies now it's just like i don't want to be anywhere near that but she got over that because wasn't she in one of those like shitty like 2000s yeah halloween movies i think she she changed her tune when it was like money (laughs) that's fair i mean you go bitch that's i'm guessing that's why she did all of those activia commercials that's fine you know we don't judge or she could really like yogurt who knows could be a mixture we don't know anyway she and dan Aykroyd are love interests for the movie and i truly love their chemistry i really think i dig it and she lives in the van down by the river she does live in a camper which is dope i really enjoy the house on wheels i appreciate the swankiness i feel like you would enjoy that for like a week and then like well, if i was by myself i'd enjoy it if i had to live with somebody else in the van house i would be annoyed Ow. So if, if you lived with me in the van, it's like fucking two. It's like a closet on a fucking four, four wheels. Like I can't know. I would get annoyed. Yeah, There's no privacy in there, Scott. I have to have my private time <laughs> away from you. Ouch. But yeah, those are all our main characters. We right off the bat get some foreshadowing in the movie because um, unfortunately one of the guys that works at the funeral home carries in a child-sized coffin and Veda's like oh is that for a child and Harry's like oh no sweetie it's just for a very small person (laughs) it's like oh no but yeah did you think that that was gonna mean anything later Scott no not a clue it is Oh, it is. Anyway, <laughs> so Veda and Thomas J are, you know, walking around on the outsides, you know, like kids did in the 70s when they wanted to hang out with each other. They went out and played just in the streets yep. like normal children. They didn't have to worry about getting kidnapped or <laughs> sex trafficked or, you know, getting run over by cars. They just went out and their parents said, go play. <laughs> I don't give a shit where you are. <laughs> just come back when the lights come off. Exactly. The kids come across their fifth grade school teacher, Mr. Bixler, played by Griffin Dunn, who I know from American Werewolf in London, which I love that movie. I still have to get Scott to watch it. Which I will do. 
he mentions to Veda that he is teaching an adult poetry class, not adult like sexy poetry, although that is an uh. element of the class because people are sluts. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. But anyway, yeah. Uh, so she's not. we we fight. Oh, stop. Okay, so yeah, the class is $35 and Veda has like a big old crush on Mr. Bixler. So she's like, I want to take the class. And she asks her dad and her dad's like, no, that's a lot of money because it's 1972. But, you know, throughout the movie, we get some really cute bonding friendship stuff between Veda and Thomas J. We get a cute like little scene down by the river. Where they become blood brothers. And that's how you get diseases. (laughs) Yes, true, true. But they also have like a little fishing scene, which is telling. I had kind of forgotten about this scene. So they're fishing by the dock, right? They catch a fish. They fumble with the fish. And Veda's like, no, no, no. Throw it back. Don't kill it. And then they eventually get it back in the water. And it's clearly dead. Veda doesn't see it, but Thomas J sees it. And he sees it like floating there dead. And Veda asks him, did it get away? And Thomas J looks at the fish and then looks at Veda. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it got away. So I think because even later in one of the million times Veda goes back and forth to the doctor, Thomas J is always there with her. And the nurse asks Thomas J, like, why do you think she goes back and forth to the doctor like this? She's like, do you think there's actually anything wrong with her? And he's like, because she gets scared of all those dead people in her house. And you know that saying. Can't beat him. Join him. Which, like, very insightful, small child. If only the 40-year-old father could, like, address that. But okay. But he's like, yeah, she's my best friend, so I'll just, like, you know, I'll I'll stick by her no matter what. And I was like, oh, Thomas J. But um, fun fact, this movie was also nominated for an MTV Movie Award for Best Duo. For them, too. Rightfully so, I think. Yeah. But they lost to another duo that we know and love here on Shoot the Flick. Wayne and Garth from Wayne's World. Wayne's World, Wayne's World, party time, excellent. So, continuing with the film, Veda is running around the funeral home, dribbling a basketball. And the basketball falls down the stairs into the basement. And we've already established the basement is a bad place where the dead people live. And she goes down there, very, you know, creeped out, grabs the ball very quick, runs back up the stairs. Unfortunately, Shelly, Jamie Lee Curtis, she saw the door open and shut it and the door kind of sticks. So she slammed it shut and it, when Veda goes back up, she gets scared because she can't open the door. She drops the ball. She starts freaking out, screaming. And then we see her kneel down, cover her ears and start singing really loudly to herself the song, Do I Diddy? There she was, just walking down the street singing. Do what did it, did it, dum, did it, do. Do what did it, did it, dum, that'll come back. But yeah, I remember that distinctly from the movie. Like, I feel like that's how I know what the, that song is from this movie. <laughs> yeah, I knew that song from other random places, but yeah. Manfred Mann, by yes, the way. <laughs> exactly. But. Jamie Lee Curtis talks to Dan Aykroyd going, hey, your daughter, like, this, you should talk to her, you know, this is kind of like a weird, fucked up situation for a child, but she doesn't bring up the fact that you, your daughter, like, nearly had, like, a fucking, like, panic attack. Yeah. About, like, 
being locked in the basement. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's a sticky situation because she's only worked there. By that point, she's worked there for maybe maybe a month, probably like a few weeks or whatever. So she doesn't want to, you know, stick her nose in where it doesn't belong. And I mean, he kind of he doesn't bite her head off about it, but he kind of makes it very clear. Like, don't tell me how to raise my daughter. Like, she's fine. Don't stick your nose in, basically. And later he apologizes to her because, you know, it's they both mean well. I think the reason you don't hate Harry, or at least I don't hate Harry, is because I feel like he, he doesn't have bad intentions. He's doing the best he can. He's a single dad. You know what I mean? It's yeah. hard. No, I'm not saying it isn't hard. I'm just saying... And he probably doesn't even want to acknowledge it himself that, like, all the shit that this kid's been through in her life, you know, and she continues to go through living surrounded by death, it's, you know, it's a lot. Of course it is. And he, as I said, he is kind of retreated inward, and that's rough on a kid when, you know, your father, who, you know, is basically it for you, has retreated inward and into himself. Because, let's face it, no matter what he does, anytime he's going to look at Veda, he's going to see his dead wife. Yeah, he even mentions at one point that, like, when Veda laughs, she sounds like his wife. Which I get, but, like, I mean, I still feel a bond between them two throughout the movie. There, no, there's a bond, it's just... It's not like he resents her for his wife dying, I mean... No, but he does... He does get short with her, he does, like... He does, like, he's very quick to, like, Veda, you're not supposed to be here. Go somewhere else. Like I think they do a good job to, like, balance it, though. They do, but his co-worker is very much more like he tries to teach Veda how to dribble a basketball. He's talking with Veda, even though he's probably heard the same story from Veda five times. Well, at one point, he says, like, I'm giving an autopsy to my high school teacher. Like, can you stop singing right now? <laughs> like, it's, you know, again, I, I do feel like there is a balance. Like, I feel like in a lot of movies, especially like more kiddie movies, it is like one extreme or the other. Either they're, you know, smothering parents, like all up in their kid's business, or they're very cold and standoffish. I feel like with this movie in particular, the father-daughter relationship is a lot more realistic, where it is a spectrum of emotions and feelings towards each other, you know? And it on Veda's side, too, because she is a young, growing gal, and, you know, sometimes she's bitter and pissed off at her dad or and sometimes she's very possessive of her dad and so on and so forth so i i feel like the depiction of the father-daughter relationship in particular is very realistic and i enjoy that but shelly and veda do also kind of develop a little bond as, as goyle friends and that's very cute at one point shelly has veda and thomas J in her little camper and Veda ends up stealing some money out of Shelley's camper in order to pay for Mr. Bixler's poetry class so she can take the poetry class. And she goes to the poetry class and it is entrenched with hippies. <laughs> Just hippies everywhere. Yeah, it's... They provide some comedy in the film. It's weird. It's a weird situation. And I'm like, A, why did we let this kid sign up for this class? She uh, had the money. I get it, but, like, there should be an age... Are you discriminating against youngsters, Scott? How dare you? <laughs> yes, I am discriminating You're the man now. We have to fight the man. Uh, fight the power. You cis white man, you. 
how dare you? Yeah, I, I how know. dare you discriminate against this young girl who's just trying to express herself? Yeah, yeah, she's trying to express herself to get the teacher to notice her. I mean, true, but I feel like ultimately she does get something positive out of the poetry class, though. Mr. Vixler instructs the class to use their poetry to express their soul. And after he says that, we get a little narration from Veda, who is sitting there listening to this. And she confesses, at least to herself, that she believes she killed her mother. And she's walking around with that just in her brain and in her body and in her soul at all times. Which for an 11-year-old girl is a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, because like I said, mom died at childbirth, so she thinks it's her fault that her mother is dead, which is horrible. Yeah, it's a rough thing. It really is, and it's it, it's it's a rough thing for her to go through. It really is for Dan Aykroyd and her and like how this family dynamic is kind of built, though, because they're like, hey, we kind of got to just keep moving forward, even if we don't really know how to truly do that well. Right, exactly, of course. So, let's get into Shelly and Harry's little relationship. It's definitely burgeoning. It's Flirt City over there at the funeral home between Jamie Lee Curtis and Dan Aykroyd. Shelly is being very, 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 very obvious that she would like Harry to ask her out to the movies on a little date. And instead, Harry... He almost completely pusses out, but then he turns around and he's like, well, I am a 97-year-old man, so I go to bingo at the church on <laughs> whatever day. Like, you know, you can come with me to bingo if you want. Let's scout future people for the funeral home. Oh, my God. Ew. Okay. <laughs> he does say, he well, basically says because they Well, like, she says that. She's like, I just had a terrible thought. I'm going to be doing makeup on some of these people very, very soon. And Dan Aykroyd goes... How do you think these seats opened up? Uh, anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they go on the little bingo date. And um, Veda finds out because th- they're not exactly subtle about it. Dan Aykroyd starts to change here and open up. But he's opening up to Shelly. Yeah. And I'm like, gotta kind of have a conversation with your kid here. Well, it's easier to open up to another adult than it is to a child. I know, but like... Jamie Lee Curtis is a new person in your daughter's life as well and even if it's nothing you kind of had to have this conversation right no I I get it I agree with you but Veda after this point she really does kind of change her tune with Shelly I think underneath it all you know she still likes her Shelly's still a really nice good person but you know dating my dad man I'm like it but which is fair it's you know it's 11 year old kid but they go to the bingo date. Veda and Thomas J kind of follow them and try to fuck shit up. They cause a fucking brawl at the bingo hall, <laughs> which is kind of hilarious. Veda calls bingo from like outside and she causes these two old men to fucking fight. And Dan Aykroyd's like, whoa, whoa. I, I like to imagine Dan Aykroyd couldn't break it up. I would have liked to see the next. They both just turned to dust immediately. <laughs> they got snapped. No, <laughs> Thanos. How could you? Thanos is in the corner playing bingo himself. He's like, I thought I won. Snap. <laughs> I was thinking like, if the next scene they should have had Dan Aykroyd have like a bruise on his face. Oh god, that would have been funny. Or like, because after the basically failed attempt to destroy their date, because 
Dan Aykroyd and Shelley end up going into the camper alone, you know, and getting roomy in there because they literally have no choice. <laughs> the camper is very small. They have a little dance and they kiss and it is actually really sweet. They do kind of open up to each other and get to know each other and they have a slow dance to the song I Only Have Eyes For You. I only have Which was very, very cute and yes. it reminded me of A Bronx Tale, which was, we also did a review of that movie and that was a big song in that movie. Yes, it was. <laughs> it's such a good fucking song. It, it is. It, it's a great song for like this type of like yeah. burgeoning love thing and it is cute how Dan Aykroyd's so like, I haven't done this in a long time. I don't really know what I'm doing anymore. It is really cute. I don't... <laughs> He has a scene when he's getting ready with his brother, who was like in another random scene in the beginning of the movie. And I actually, when he showed up, I'm like, who the fuck is this? Yeah, you were just like, oh, some random guy with a big mustache is here. Who's that? I'm like, that's his brother. He was in the beginning. It's fine. He's, he's there to be like, these 70s women now. Oh, yeah, right. These- he tells he tells fucking Dan Aykroyd all about 70s women because he's supposedly a womanizer. Meanwhile, he looks like fucking Wally Willie. Or Wooly Willy, whatever the fuck it is. You know the fucking thing yes. with the, you have to like move the magnets around. And it's just, but th- that's what he looks like. <laughs> it's so funny because he's just like, and they don't wear bras. Oh my God. And then later Dan Aykroyd's dancing with Jamie Lee Curtis. And he's like, oh, you're wearing a bra. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, <laughs> I do that. <laughs> like he has this scene and then one other scene where he talks about like, Oh yeah, your father used to be really funny before your mother died. Like that's is that's the only two scenes that really well, matter it's, it's for him little, in this movie. Yes, but you, that seemed a little. You summarize it too shortly. It just makes it sound out of nowhere. He just goes up to bed like, "Well, your mother died, and then your dad wasn't funny anymore, <laughs> and you killed her." Remember? It's like no, it's not how the scene went. <laughs> Basically, it's the Fourth of July, yay party, right? Cool beans, and then weird afro white guy shows up in a mustang and it's got run through the jungle playing over it which is admittedly a good song but like still like ew go away it's apparently jamie lee curtis's ex-husband danny who she told harry about so it's not like it's a surprise that she has an ex-husband but he's there giving her some guff and wanting to get the camper back and Dan Aykroyd tries to play the nice guy. He's like, listen, I understand that this is hard for you, but try to remember your memories with the camper and all the good times you had. <laughs> and the guy's just being a dick. So then he turns around and like clocks him in the face. And he's like, if you ever come back here and bother Shelly, I'm going to fucking bury you in my backyard. <laughs> and the guy's like, okay, bye. <laughs> so it was very smooth of dan Aykroyd. yes and then when you know him and jamie lee curtis are off kind of like getting cozy with each other veda's with the uncle and in that scene it actually seems like veda has kind of made peace a little bit with them being together she still kind of has mixed feelings about it but she does make some kind of progress in that scene with the uncle because she asks him like do you like her do you think dad likes her and he's like yeah i like her i think she's very good for your dad you know he seems really happy so you think that it's gonna be okay but then things happen later and not as okay but we'll we'll get to that um (laughs) so after that whole sequence 
Um, we get some more stuff with Veda and Thomas J hanging out in the woods and they come across a beehive and Thomas J knocks it down because he thinks the all the bees are dead in there and uh, it turns out they're not and Veda actually she has this like little mood ring that she loves and it's always black because of course she's fucking Wednesday Adams so the <laughs> mood ring is black at all times and she loses it and she's like oh no and then the bees come out and start swarming at them oh no not the bees not the bees ah! so they both have to run and they jump into the water and the only reason why I'm bringing that up is because the foreshadowing <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's, it seems like a very insignificant scene. But it, it's not. <laughs> but it is not, no. What were you thinking when that all happened? Were you just thinking, oh, what another wonderful, cute little vignette of growing up in the woods? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, oh, it's cute. It's funny. But you're like, okay. It just seemed like another cute little vignette. I, I did think, I'm like, dude... Thomas J has like been told like oh he's allergic to everything I'm like dude why are you fucking yeah why around? are you fucking with a beehive I'm sure his parents told him he's allergic to bees because you know bees live in the outside but I, I don't know man it's fine <laughs> the wishy washy feelings Veda has about Harry and Shelley being together kind of turn more towards the dark side when uh they go to the carnival. Yep. And they have a grand old time. They're doing the bumper cars to Bad Moon Rising. It's a grand old time. Well, and right before the bumper cars, it is told. Oh, uh, yes. It is foretold. What is foretold, dear? It is foretold that there will be a wedding between Shelley and Harry. <gasps> Which Scott's immediate reaction was like, that was quick. <laughs> Which, like, fair. But, like, also, you know, you know, you know when you know. Yeah, I get it. You know when you know, but, like, dude. And, like, they're not getting mad. Maybe they'll have a long engagement, Scott. I don't know. I, think I don't judge people. I think you cis white man, you. I think they said we're going to get married by the end of the summer. Oh, well, <laughs> you cis white man, you. Because it's happening so fast, when things change like this in this rapid sense of time as a kid you tend to react poorly so later we get uh, another scene with veda and thomas J. that's kind of iconic actually um they're hanging out under the willow tree for some reason they get on the topic of like kissing and love or whatever probably talking about bixler they decide you know maybe we should just kiss each other and see what the big fuss is about so they have like a cute little peck and afterwards it's very awkward and Beta says say something it's too quiet and then <laughs> Thomas J doesn't know what to do so he just stands up and puts his hand over his heart and starts saying the Pledge of Allegiance and then Beta joins him <laughs> which is like the cutest it is it is very cute thing in the world and this leads to Thomas Jane walking on air man he is oh yeah yeah he's so hyped and at this point they're they're walking home with their bikes and I proceed to take a big, deep breath because I know what's about to happen. So Thomas J says to Veda as they're about to part ways, he says, Veda, what? What do you think of me? For what? Well, if we don't get to marry Mr. Bixler. I guess. 
and then they walk off say goodbye and i i just i was like okay <laughs> and then scott looks at me he's like something about to happen i tried to really keep it together but i took a i took too deep of a breath you guys Hold on, he's like something's gonna happen now. Yeah, it, it is Frankie's tell when something bad is about to happen. It's the deep breath. It, it happened in uh, Poseidon Adventure. Oh yeah, that's true. It did. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. We can't know. I, I really, I was trying because I, because I knew he didn't know what was gonna happen. So I was like, I have to just keep poker face on. But then. Thomas J said that, and I was like, "Oh fuck, it's it's happening right now." So Scott, why why don't you tell us what happens after Veda and Thomas J part ways? So Thomas J is skipping along in the woods back to where the beehive was, looking for Veda's ring, and he decides, "Ah, the bees are probably gone. I'm gonna kick the hive a little." He kicks the hive. Then he goes, "Okay, let me look for the ring," as he's scrounging around. We cut to the beehive, and the bees are starting to come out of the beehive. And then he finds the ring, and he turns around, and then suddenly he's swarmed by the bees. And then we get the dramatic shot of his glasses falling to the floor. In slow motion, and you're like, oh, fuck. And then um, you see Harry coming into Veda's room, and he has to break the news to her, and it's just completely heartbreaking. And you then cut to her immediately running to the doctor, and saying she can't breathe, she's suffocating, all the bee stings, she can't, you know. And, like, on its face, that's obviously a very telling scene and very sad and all. But in the back of my mind, I was like, so you just told your daughter that her only friend in the world is dead. And you just let her run out of the house? <laughs> like, what? Um, okay, I'm gonna just forget about that right now because I, I like Harry. I do. I like Dan Aykroyd. I don't want to hate you, bro. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> then we go to the funeral. Thomas J's funeral. And leading up to the funeral, Veda's obviously very depressed. She's holed up in her room in complete darkness. Shelly's knocking on the door, leaving her food. And right before the funeral, she tries to convince her to come out. Shelly goes down to Harry and is like, you need to do something about this. She's not coming out. It's She's been in there for over a day. Like, are we going to do anything about this? And he's like, the funeral's starting. She's like, I understand that. But, like, this is this is bad. You need to help. Like, you need to deal with this. And, like, I, I really liked this scene. And, I again, it's something that I didn't remember from watching it years and years ago as a child. Maybe I paid more attention to it because I'm an adult. And there's two adults talking. So I related to them maybe more. But she's just like, I- I'm not saying you shouldn't care about these people that you you help in this funeral home. And I get it's probably a lot easier to help them because you don't really know them. But that girl up there is really suffering. And just pretending that she's not is not going to keep her from suffering. I'm obviously paraphrasing this whole conversation. But it was it was said with a lot of love because she does love... Harry and she does love Veda and she comes from an environment she even mentions in the conversation where she doesn't really have a family at all so she really cares about these people and and, you know it's it's really they're you know she's got tears in her eyes and she Jamie Lee Curtis is just like a great fucking actress man she can do it all she can do comedy drama horror she can do it all 
God bless. She can <laughs> sell us some yogurt. Uh, I mean, I've never been a fan of yogurt, but if I were, <laughs> I would buy Activia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So th- then we get the most memorable point in the movie when Veda slowly but surely comes down the stairs and sees Thomas J in the casket. Um, it's truly one of the most devastating moments I've ever seen in a movie. The second she left her room and started going down the stairs, I started crying. Because, and then, like, when she finally sees him, it just her, I mean, that this little girl, this girl is a tiny little child, and she was able to evoke this just intense emotion. His face hurts. And where is his glasses? He can't see without his glasses. <laughs> Put his glasses on. Put on his glasses. And it, the scene is like, not even five minutes long. Like, it's no, so quick. It is. But I I thought it was long. I was surprised. She, she immediately starts crying and, like, freaking out. Yeah. And then almost immediately, her father and Shelly come and, like, try to take her out. And then the scene's over. And I'm like, for some reason, I remember that scene being longer when I was a kid. But maybe just because it's so impactful, I remember it just being longer. She goes bolting out the door. Yeah. And Harry, like, kind of follows her out the door but doesn't run after her yeah like you're i get you're not a a a thin man but like you can fucking run after her like he chases her up to the lawn and then stops and she's running off sobbing it's like all right you can keep running (laughs) like it's okay I understand this is your business, but fucking say, Shelly, fucking just yeah, stay Shelley here. Yeah, would be like, I'll stay here, go get her. Um, like, it's one of those things like, God damn it, Harry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I get it. But I think it's a credit to Dan Aykroyd where like, he, do- he gives a performance that, at least as an adult, you watch it and you're like, oh my God, come on, man. Like, you know, you gotta be there for your kid a little more. You gotta really, you know, get in there. But like... At the same time, you you do feel a lot of sympathy for him, and you you understand that he has good intentions, and that he is trying and in, in his own way, and you understand why he does the things that he does. So she runs to her teacher, who she professes her love to. Yeah, well, when when he mentions Thomas J, though, at first she again covers her ears and starts screaming, "Do I diddy?" And then, yeah, she confesses her love to Mr. Bixler and then promptly meets his fiance, which, I mean, we've all been there, right, ladies? And <laughs> and then she again runs off and uh, she actually goes to the willow tree where she was hanging out with Thomas J. And she climbs to the tree and just kind of contemplating and you hear a kind of voiceover from her and Thomas J. in the past where they were hanging out and just, you know. Her having her moment of solitude, climbing the tree and stuff. I wondered at this point, I was like, how dark are we going to get here? Well, yeah, because, yeah, I was wondering what you thought about that. Continue. Because I, I, I am tearing up at this point and she's climbing the tree. I'm like, what's going to fuck? Is she going to like fall and like knock herself out? And Dan Aykroyd's going to fucking show up and be like, are you all right? Like, like what's going to happen here? Yeah, and they they do kind of imply that that might happen because she is kind of going out on a limb, that's kind of far out, and then she kind of trips herself a little bit, but eventually she does catch herself and she's fine. But it, it teases it a little bit. <laughs> uh, but after being out for a good chunk of the night, Veda does come home, 
and apparently Harry is out looking for her, so Shelly is there, and they embrace, and she kind of tucks her into bed, and Beta admits stealing the money out of her, her camper, and Shelly says it's, it's okay, and they hug, and Veda kind of makes peace with Shelly, which is really nice, and then Harry does come home, and he goes and checks in on her, and Veda and him have a real conversation at this point. She asks him flat out, did I kill my mother? And then they kind of just sit there and talk about her. I feel like they probably never really talked about Oh, they never did. Her mother. Because ne- earlier in the movie, Veda does find a photo of her parents together. And she kind of holds on to it and saves it. But it's in a box in the garage. Like I feel like the mother is not really casually mentioned at all in the house like no growing up Not or whatever. Even a little bit. so them having that conversation at that moment was probably a pretty big deal for them yeah. both which is good yeah it was a it was a conversation that was probably long overdue mm-hmm. and they had this conversation and it does seem like it does help veda and it maybe and it helps dan Aykroyd a little bit and yeah i feel like it's good because it makes both of them kind of it allows harry to openly talk to his child about death which i mean i get like it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about obviously he gets that fucking working in a funeral home but like through a child's eyes it's everything's black and white you know there's really no shades of gray so you have to without any explanation of things it's hard for a child to see the shades of gray when it's not the nuance isn't explained to them yeah which is why you know she went her 11 years thinking that she killed her mother but uh, harry says you know i still miss her sometimes like when i see a flower that i think she would have liked or a sunset or something i think of her sometimes and it, it makes me sad but i you know mostly i still think fondly of her and Veda says, you know, every time I see a big climbing tree, I'm going to think of Thomas J. And, like, they have that kind of sweet, you know, cyclical moment of, like, there are different stages of grief, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then we kind of get our epilogue of the movie. It's, you know, probably uh, some, some days or maybe a week later, we open the scene on a bright, sunny day. We hear Saturday in the Park by Chicago, and we see Harry talking to Thomas J's mom, and Veda gives her a big hug, and this part got me fucking bawling. <laughs> she, and you were bawling too, because I looked over at you, because I was sniffling, and then you're like too. Veda says to Thomas J's mom, she says, he'll be okay, my mom will take care of him, and then I just start bawling. I'm like, oh my god, I can So... Um, the last scene in the movie, Veda returns to her poetry class taught by Mr. Bixler, gives him a big hug, and, um, she reads this poem to the class, which is very, you know, sad and poignant. Yeah. You know, it's not all, like, woe is me view on death, but it's, it's very, like, it's a very, like, peaceful kind of poignant poem about death. It is very cathartic. And I'm still sobbing. And then she leaves the poetry class and 
you know, goes off and we hear some narration. She's, you know, made a new friend. She's going to start school again soon. And uh, Reagan was just nominated again by the Republican Party. Yeah, that was like, Scott was like, really? And I'm like, it's 72. (laughs) But I'm like, but like, we have all this like, this like moment. And then that's the note, like the movie ends on. I'm like, why is that the note we're ending on? I don't know. Because 70s, Scott. But anyway, uh, the movie takes us out on the song My Girl, of course. Uh, by the temptations and that is my girl scott what did you think of this movie it is it's it's a cute movie that takes a very sharp turn and it can hit you right in the feels if you're not expecting it so let me ask you something before i ruined it with my big deep breath did you have any idea that anyone was going to die what were you thinking where this was going to go I thought, because of Veda's hypochondria, I thought maybe she was actually going to die. Oh, you thought she was going to die. Oh, that would have been too much. That would have been fucking too much for me. I thought because it's like, oh, Dan Aykroyd's like a whole, like, he can't figure out, like, how to talk to his daughter. And then he's got this new wife. And then it's like, suddenly it's like, oh, your daughter's fucking actually going to die. And you've been ignoring it this whole fucking time. Yeah, I mean, plot-wise, that would make sense logically, but I feel like it would just be way too fucking much. Because this is the like the main character that we have gotten the most connected to from the beginning. If she dies, that's... Ugh, and she's a child? Oh, no, God. We would all die of sadness. So, yeah, you didn't realize till I ruined it with my big deep breath. Although I saved it pretty much till right before it happened. So I was, you know... Yeah. I was pretty good, guys. So you you didn't know until No, then. I didn't know Thomas J was going to die. Poor. No, I should have assumed of all, I'm allergic to everything. And they kept bringing that up. Yeah, they did bring it up multiple times. You know, you know, Scott, got to keep track of that foreshadowing. But uh, yes, I, I'm really happy to have watched this again, despite the fact that I was emotionally damaged from it. I had to literally, when we were done watching the movie... I had to go upstairs and like hug my mom. <laughs> I was like, I was. I went to her room. She's like, "What's wrong with you?" I'm like, "I just watched my girl." And she's like, "Oh, come here." <laughs> so I gotta like hug you. But yeah, I didn't know if it was gonna affect me like as much as it did because I've seen it several times. But yeah, it still got me, man. It still got me good. Uh, what did you rate this movie, Scott? I have it as a three and a half. All right, that's that's fair. But it's I, I can easily be t- like three point seven five sounds more correct. All right, all right, that's that's very fair. I gave it a four out of five. I, I think, despite my nostalgic glasses, I think it still is a fair score. I think it it definitely is a a timeless film. I think you can relate to it on any level. I mean, there is a slight case in this movie of like kids talking like adult syndrome. Yeah. Mainly with Veda. Not really with anybody else, just with Veda. But it's not that bad, honestly. It's more done because she was forced to grow up really quickly. Right. It's more understandable in that sense. But um, other than that, I mean, I love the soundtrack. I love the characters. Yeah, it's just a really sweet, cute, realistic, I think, wholesome, all that good stuff. 
coming of age movie. It definitely is. Yes. So a good entry for music month, I believe as well. I agree. So next week is our Father's Day episode. Yes, it is. And Scott will be showing me a movie that I've never seen before and never even heard of before it was mentioned to me, the title. So I'm actually very intrigued to uh, to watch this movie with a special guest. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So until then, this has been Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our musical, lyrical movie adventure. Don't worry, the movie's not music and lyrics. I just realized I did that. (laughs) I've seen that movie. Yes, I have too. Adios. Do a diddy diddy dum diddy diddy. She look good. She look fine. She look good. She look fine. And I nearly lost my mind.